Welcome to Disability Talks, a podcast produced by Abilities in Motion. I'm your host, Ed Granger. Join us to encounter unique perspectives on accessibility and independence, and to hear stories from everyday people living their most independent everyday lives, where essential conversations find their place. Let's talk. Welcome to Disability Talks. I am your special host for today's episode. My name is Stephanie Quigley. I am the Executive Director of Abilities in Motion. And this is a special episode with some very special guests. This morning, I have Janine Bayshore, advocate, mom, friend, previous employee of Abilities in Motion. And with her, we have her son, Jacob Bayshore. Welcome. Hello. Hello. We're doing a special kind of pass-the-mic edition. Your regular host, Ed, is, has been gracious enough to let me handle today's podcast. I'm really excited to have you both with us um, as we talk about autism. So well, I'll just get things started by, by talking about April is, as we know in our community, Autism Awareness Month. And Jake is autistic. Yes. Yes. So let's just dive right into Autism Awareness Month and our general thoughts about what does that bring to the autistic community, if anything. I actually had to look it up, and I was surprised to find out that it was actually started in 1972, but it wasn't until November 1st, 2007, that the UN declared April 2nd um, World Autism Day. So it's... It's been recognized. Um, There's kind of been a shift over the past few years of it being more kind of turning from Autism Awareness Month to Autism Acceptance Month. We kind of like to describe it as, okay, if you're aware that someone is in the room, that's that's really cool. Um, If you accept that somebody's in the room, it it makes a much different point. It's great that you're aware of autism? What are you doing to accept it? We'd love for the greater community to move the needle from acceptance to pride and appreciation. Wouldn't it be great if it was, you know, April was Autism Pride Month? I think why I was excited to have you and Jake on the podcast today was we did a podcast a few years, probably in 2019, the three of us, and we recorded that podcast, I think right around Autism Awareness Month and had this same discussion about, you know, what does it really do for the for the community? And it was one of our most downloaded podcasts right. to date, because I think it's a, a topic that people want to hear about and learn about. And this is a frank conversation and a real conversation. We're not trying to be telling our audience what we think they want to hear. This right. is about autistic people, how this month is supposed to look versus how it really does look. Right. As in any other community, it's it's difficult because there's some division because in the early inception, there was a movement to light it up blue and, and things like that. But that was started by an organization that wasn't necessarily listening to autistic voices. It was a for-profit organization that wasn't really centered around autistic people. That's not where your mind should be going. If it is for and built around those voices, those are the voices that should be amplified. That, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Well, as a Center for Independent Living, that's what, that's what our mission is. We do everything based on feedback and action from, from the disability community. And I think it's important to recognize when there's one side, there's another side. Right. 
it's about the individual at the end of the day. And and while he's not saying a whole lot, I am never his voice. I don't ever speak for him. He speaks for himself. You know, we like to say we're an ally or we're an accomplice. An accomplice isn't a bad word when it comes to that. We will help him and the greater community accomplish what they want to accomplish and amplify their voices. So when it comes, when we're talking about Autism Awareness, Autism Acceptance Month, I prefer to call it Autism Acceptance Month, and I've seen that. I've seen that shift. So I'm really happy to see that. Sometimes people get so caught up in, especially when it comes to autism, that it's children, it's it's babies, it's it's small children. And I think we're going to get into this later about, you know, what does that look like when when right. when we're talking adult. But for this month, we as a Center for Independent Living want to make sure we're giving out information that actually makes a difference. Right. And so we would ask when it comes to inclusion, that's a you know, that's a hot word these yes. days, inclusion. And that's something that's that our organization has been built around. So it's not new to any Center for Independent Living, but glad to see that it's becoming more mainstream and people are are recognizing that there should be more inclusive practices across the board. But rather than having a person with autism, an autistic person, try to fit into that mold of our neurotypical society, what Why can't, you know, and I think I've heard you speak on this before, why can't it be the reverse? Let's try to put some action into place where where we're fostering inclusion, but not by forcing something that doesn't fit. Exactly. And and part of that has been what we've learned by some of our, what we now see as maybe shortcomings, failures. And because, is it okay if I share how old you are? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Jake will be 25. So he's obviously aged out of the school system. But looking back now, I see so many things that we got wrong and that the school system got wrong. And then if I could rewrite things, I would. There were so many times that we were trying to fit him. You know, he's a square peg and we're, we're, we're pounding a square peg into a round hole. And instead of listing all of his amazing, incredible strengths, we're trying to fit him into a pattern of, okay, this is how a neurotypical child learns. This is how he learns. Let's play on those strengths and let's build on that. And why can't some of the neurotypical kids that he's around be involved in that? Because in the end, everybody benefits because they're going to go out into the community, into society, and they're going to be surrounded by a lot of very different people. Neurodiversity isn't just autism. It's ADHD. It's dyslexia. It covers a vast variety of brain function. Not everybody's brain is the same. It would benefit every child to learn different not everybody learns the same. It would just benefit everybody by being included. And I understand that it's difficult on that level to teach every child individually. It's a shift. It's a different it way of looking at an IEP, for example, yeah. or or inclusion in a classroom. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we have seen through the work that we do, um, the inclusion doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. All of the things that I'm sharing today are our individual experiences. This is not, a, you know, a guidebook for anybody else. Jake is an individual. We are individuals. This is not 
the holy grail. But I think that's why our previous podcast was so well received because it's an honest uh, discussion about real life yeah. and a family that experiences it every day. Yeah. Yeah. We have pivoted. Um, we've been well, and there's, you know, there's a saying when you know better, you do better. We have we have shifted a million times. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, we've learned that we should not have been been doing that. And I think, you know, I know you've talked a lot or you've talked to me previously about what it's like to experience the world in in COVID times yes. with uh, social isolation yeah. and things like that. And, you know, welcome to a right. the world of an autistic person. Yeah. The whole world went bananas because they were socially isolated and they couldn't see their friends and they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. And not just autistic people, that's what it's like being a person with a disability, a disabled person. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very socially isolating. And there were people who were just, you know, and still reeling from those months or that year that they spent being isolated. That's reality right. for a lot of people. And I don't mean to downplay that it that it really sent some people into some shockwaves, but, but please understand and be empathetic that that is the day-to-day life. Of, of some people. Right. Let's talk about identity language. Again, a Center for Independent Living is it listens to the community of the disabled. Yes. And we get questioned a lot for the language yes. that we use. Yes. I just use the word disabled. Yes. That might offend some, some people. I've used the word autistic. Just in this podcast, oh, I've yeah. used person with autism. It is an individual choice, yes. I believe. And, you know, while you can't get it right every time, if you're generally speaking about a population, what you can do is listen to an individual and use those preferences. Right. What I've learned, and I am not part of the community. I am an accomplice. I am an ally. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is be very, very careful. I always defer to the individual. I defer to Jake. Whatever he wants us to do, that's what we're going to do. I will defer to, to the individual. And then I will defer to the community. What I've learned is disabled is not a dirty word. It's an empowering word. And the disabled community is taking that word back. It, it's it's not something to be ashamed of. It's empowering. Um, Jake, what do you, when you refer to yourself, you say that you are... Empowering. You are empowered because you are... Autistic. You are autistic. Jake uses identity first language. So when we, that's what we use. Years ago, I would have never used that because most professionals in social services, even in the medical community, you were very strictly taught to use person first. You are a person with a disability. And that was hammered into our heads over and over and over again. And you were even told to correct people. But the problem with that was nobody asked the autistic community what they wanted. And overwhelmingly, Autistic adults want to be referred to as autistic. It is part of who they are. Jake, when when you say you're autistic, why do you say that? You are special. Yeah, you're special because you're empowered. Yes. It's empowering. It's empowering. So that's that's how he feels. And I'm that, never going to take that away from him. That is amazing. I think the world can get so caught up in language yes. and tr- wanting to try to say the right thing. And I will, I, I know 
that we here had gotten caught up in that. Oh, I did. I did. 100%. Even working at a center for independent living, you know, what's the right language? I tear down those barriers now because it is individual. But certainly there is offensive language. Yes. No, I will always defer to the individual because I'm I'm positive that there are probably autistic people out there who prefer to use person first language. Th- then absolutely, yeah. I will absolutely honor your wishes 100%. That is your um the only thing I will not stand for is somebody correcting his language or correcting my language right. outside of of our circle correcting us that I that I I won't right. I, I won't let you do. We also have kind of tuned into the adult autistic community and they are very much now trying to shy away from functioning labels high functioning autism low functioning autism because what that really does is it first of all it can deny services if you label somebody as a high functioning autistic person you can, you know, sometimes that will just deny them services. Um, also, if you label somebody as low-functioning autistic, sometimes you assume something about their intelligence. Um, so they're really trying to get away from those labels. It also doesn't help the individual whom you're speaking about. Um, if you really cared about them, you would ask what their needs are. Is there any spe- anything specific right. that I can do to help them? Plus, in Jake's case, is it okay if I share something? Yes. Um, his function is fluid. So is mine. Nobody's asking me how I'm, fun- you know, what's your functioning label as a mom today? Sometimes I'm a pretty low functioning mother. Nobody's asking no me. Asks no one asks me when I wake up in the morning what my, you know, what I'm functioning at. It's kind of, it's kind of rude. Um, so we're kind of trying to get away from that. You know, very few other diagnoses are like it's it's just kind of and I've noticed that you know in conversation with people when I if I choose to reveal that you know I have a son who's autistic sometimes that's one of the first questions they will ask me oh is he low or high functioning first of all my first question is why are you asking me that and what that's disappointing it's it is slightly disappointing what does it matter it doesn't matter i'm sorry i'm still getting i can't get over the fact that someone might correct an autistic person's language or identity language yeah i've not i've not witnessed that in person i have witnessed that on social media unbelievable Jake, I wanted to just talk to you a little bit about special interests. And would you like to share a special interest that you have with us? Yes, and my special interest is Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. We nailed it down to, to, we nailed it down to one specific topic. So go ahead. Well, I'm going to start about the origin of Spider-Man. Basically, it's like this. Peter Parker is just your average wallflower growing up in Queens. Basically, he's good with his teachers, but not so good with his social life. And uh, and when he went to a science expo, he came across an ordinary spider that has been radiated with radiation. And then once he got bitten... He gained some kind of unique spider powers, the ability to crawl walls, and the thick sense called spider sense. And, and he thought he could use his powers to become 
um, as popular as he wanted to be. But an ongoing, he he thought he had all everything. Eh. But his uncle Ben told him, "With great power comes great responsibility." But he but he saw all robber trying to ro- rob and get some money uh, under the fight promoter. But uh, he let him get away. And ongoing, he exited. Yeah, and when he came back from his uncle Ben, and to his house, to the house, he accidentally saw his own, all the police that that some that they said his son, someone shot his uncle Ben, and he found to get had revenge on what he did to who on the killer who killed him. But on going back in an abandoned warehouse, he found the same guy that he let go back when he was trying to rob. And basically, it was all Peter Parker's fault. So basically, Lee, he learned with great power comes great responsibility. He failed to live up to that legacy from his Uncle Ben. And that's why he became the amazing Spider-Man. Wow. Thank you, Jake. You're welcome. I had no idea. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. And Spider-Man's your favorite, right? Yes. Yeah. I never heard that story. It's a rare known story. Yeah. So Peter Parker is Spider-Man? Yes, he always has been. That was awesome. Thank you yes. so much, Jake. You're welcome. So, Janine, let's talk a little bit about the experience of you and your family and Jake had when he aged out of school. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, it's hard because, you know, we like to refer to it as jumping off the cliff because what happens is uh, in the state of Pennsylvania and most other states, he is allowed a, uh, you know, individualized education until he's 21. So then he ages out of school. And, you know, depending on your child's abilities, there's not much after that. So you either have to find the resources or build the resources to build a life for them after that. Um, It's just, it's really, really difficult because the community resources don't exist. Right. So what I've seen and what we've seen in our own community here locally is there's there's adequate support through K through 12 through that process. Generally speaking. Generally speaking. Because no, it, it's almost as if no one really thought, hey, what happens when an autistic person becomes an adult. And it's only been recently that I think that's starting to be talked about and brought to advocates and organizations like ours. Like, hey, what happens? It t- time doesn't stop. Does not stop. They all grow up. Right. And it's a different world out there for for an, uh, an autistic adult. Yes. Yeah. You know, it depends on independence level. You know, it depends on... F- you know, familial support, it depends on community support, you know, are they able to maintain a job? You know, what barriers, what other co-occurring 
issues do they have? Well, it goes, look, I I see it this way when we're going to talk about first responders in a minute. It goes from, oh, that's an, that's a, that's an autistic child who needs protecting and, you know, through, through that state, those stages of childhood, Mm -hmm. not disagreeing. But adulthood comes, and now it has dramatically shifted from this is a child with autism that needs to be protected to what is this person doing? Is that a person a threat? And I wish that was not the case. We've seen it in in many different terrible news reports across our country. And I'm I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but it can be as as simple as that when you're looking at it's a shift. It's no longer, but it's the, it's the same exact person. Pete. Yes, it's the same person. And it also goes back to inclusion. If they were included in, in everything, in school, in the community, from the time that they were younger, and instead of that diametric shift happening at some point along the education where then they were not, you know, quite as included in the classrooms, and, you know, where you did see them grow up, where they were along with their peers in certain things, you know, then maybe it wasn't like, oh, okay, here's this adult. Now what do we do? Well, I think it's important for everyone to understand why it's so, why we're so driven to talk to every first responder that we can. And fortunately, our local police department allowed us to come in and talk with every officer on on their force about disability in general and and autism and had great response and I think I'd like to ask you to share one of the stories that you shared with them that really hit home with them that put it in their minds as okay this is how this is what you're talking about yeah that's something that was so and he absolutely loved that when we got to spend time with the Reading Police Department that was probably he was so proud to be able to do that right I mean can you you want to talk a little bit about that? No. No? Okay. Um, yeah, he was so psyched to be able to do that. Um, and honestly, that's something that has been really, that has been so important to me. And it's, you know, I want to say it was 2015 when it happened. So, um, and this is the, this is kind of what clicked in my head. So we were um, in the airport in Philadelphia getting ready to get on a flight to New Orleans. And Jake is not a a little guy. Um, He's six foot and he's um, 270 on a bad day. So not a a child. Um, And at that point, he was was not a little boy either. But in my mind, this is, this is my, this is my little baby boy. So I don't see him any other way than that. So you know, we're in Philadelphia International Airport. We're throwing our bags up on the on the you know the baggage claim. We're we're doing what you do in the airport, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see one of the guards on the TSA platform, and he is zeroed in on my son square. And I thought, why are you looking at my kid? Like, what what's going on? And it clicked. My son, as adorable and wonderful. And 100% non-threatening looks so sketchy and suspicious to an untrained eye right now. And all that officer with a machine gun is doing is what he's trained to do, is pick out people who are suspicious. Um, Is it okay if I share something um, kind of private? 
Yes. Yeah. So Jake has what's known as stims. So it's self-stimulatory behavior. Um, a lot of times when he's waiting, even if he's waiting in line and, he, and it's quiet, he will rock back and forth. He will pace. He will wring his hands. It's a lot of repetitive body movements. Um, if he's anxious, those movements get bigger. They're a little more pronounced. Um, sometimes he's scripting, so he's kind of saying things under his breath. So imagine if you're in an airport and you're looking for suspicious activity and you've got a six-foot person who's in baggage claim wringing his hands back and forth. And so at that point, I realized that my child wasn't a sweet little autistic boy. He looked like a threat. And it scared the daylight out of me. And it was at that point, I had this visceral reaction. And I remember saying to my husband, I'm like, everybody's got to know. Like, we've got to teach everybody that this is a suspicious behavior. It's just because he has autism. It's just because this is the way it is. Like, I just remember feeling this wave of panic. Like, I needed to get every security guard, every police officer, every, you know, every cop, every ambulance, like, everybody to understand that this isn't suspicious because then you start hearing police reports of awful things happening. And that's exactly why it's so important to get an autistic person in front of first responders. I have always said, and I will maintain this, and I hope it helped the officers last year. You don't need a professional seminar with somebody who's going to tell you about neurodiversity and self-stimulatory behavior. You don't need me up there yapping. You need 15 minutes alone hanging out with my son. Right. That's it. Well, I think that's what was so remarkable about the training yeah they they didn't want they could have hired anybody to come right. in and 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 lecture them on autism yeah, or no. disability we could no. I, I could have done that and their police chief was very open and transparent about it needs to come directly from the community because yeah. that's important to them and hearing that as as a leader of a center for independent living I was like we're there you get what we're trying to do yeah and I and I want I want to be able to have, to be in a room where they can ask questions that they feel like they're uncomfortable asking. Look, you can ask me anything. I am not offended by anything, anywhere, anytime. You can ask me, like, we even have, you know, a a little scenario when I get pulled over because I'm not sure what he's going to do or say to a police officer if and when I get pulled over for speeding. I'm not sure what his reaction is going to be. So I now, you know, have a really small blurb that I will say to an officer if I get pulled over. Officer, here's my license and registration. The young man sitting next to me is my son. He's autistic. I'm not sure what he's going to say or do just so you know. There's a wild card next to me. Right. And from the feedback that we got from the officers that we talked with last summer, that's exactly what they would want to know. Yeah. Our local police force does not want bad outcomes. Nobody does. And that's the information I think that was was just not, they'd never had it. Yeah, I just want to give you a heads up because chances are he's going to be really mad at me because I broke the law and I'm going to get a ticket and his dad's going to be so mad that I got a, that I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> Mom got pulled out that, and he's going to dime me out the minute his dad walks in the door. Mom got pulled over by a cop today, dad. She was speeding. Like that's how it's going to play out. 
But, like, I don't know if he's going to say anything. So I'm going to give said officer a heads up the moment I'm done doing my business, just in case. I know that we're trying to continue that kind of training and that kind of outreach to all of our local first responders because it really was meaningful for both sides. Yeah, it's super important because you are going, it's not you might, you are going to come across someone who is autistic, somebody who is neurodiverse. You are going to come across somebody who needs you to be a little empathetic. Yeah, and it was a positive experience. I understand Jake got some patches and, and a hat. That's that's really cool. And he got to meet the dog. The canine. Yeah. Who was part of the canine unit. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. We wanted to be part of the taser day, but they wouldn't let us. <laughs> I didn't want to get tased. <laughs> no, I don't want to get tased I wanted either, to Jake. be the one who was doing the tasering, but they didn't. They said no. Well, at least you asked. I asked. I did. So I want to just touch on one more thing before we wrap up. I don't want to, I mean, this this topic in and of itself could be an entire podcast. It's particularly relevant to the autistic community. And I want to discuss it because if we're talking about autism awareness and acceptance, why are we still talking about conservatorships and guardianships? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, that is something we have chosen absolutely not to do. We are not his voice. He has his own voice. We partner with him Mm -hmm. in his care. Can you share why? I don't think people understand what that means when you officially have a conservatorship or a guardianship assigned. It's not for the protection of the individual. Not necessarily. And I will also say that it is very different from state to state. But in the state of Pennsylvania, when you gain guardianship over your child, they have no rights. Um, they have no rights to their medical care. They have no rights to their financial care. They have, they, you, you've essentially stripped them of all of their rights. We have chosen not to do that. Jake is a thoughtful, intelligent person who is more than capable of making his own decisions. Sometimes he needs help to figure things out. So we work as a team to do that. There are alternatives to that. We will continue to work as a team forever. I wanted to just bring it up because I don't think people understand that there are alternatives. And from my perspective, I'm not saying there's not a place for it. There absolutely is, much like everything, but it absolutely should not be the first course of action for someone with an intellectual disability that is having a crisis or a person with mental health concerns that is having a crisis or going through something or even a person with a disability who the medical community thinks cannot take care of themselves. So there are alternatives out there. There's home and community-based services. There's mental health support. You could assign a power of attorney as opposed to a guardianship, which if you want to go that route, then I believe everybody needs to be fully educated on what exactly that means and what it means for the individual because getting them reversed as we have seen play out over the last year is very difficult it's next to impossible and it it, yeah it's it's just something that we have chosen not to do i appreciate your your discussion on it because people really believe janine that it's the right thing to do it's yeah. it's it's yeah. really helpful and supportive for the person and that's not really the case no. i don't think that everyone has the full picture and we have been able to i mean luckily um can i share something personal 
Yes. Luckily, Jake doesn't have a whole lot of physical medical issues. So there hasn't been anything that we've had to explain to him. But I will say that he did have one medical procedure. He was a minor at that point. But, you know, we were still able to navigate through that and still have him Again, he was a minor, so that wasn't necessarily an issue as to, you know, who was making decisions. He was a minor at that point. But still, we were able to make decisions as a team. We had a a thoughtful doctor. We are his parents. And he was able to kind of, you know, still have input. He was 17 or 18 at the time. So he was an old, you know, he was older at that point. It's just not something I feel comfortable doing. It's so important to understand what you're signing up for. Yeah, I'm just not. And I'm not, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying there's alternatives. Yes. Let's make that the first go-to choice rather than. It should be your final. It's a last resort. It should be your absolute last resort. And shouldn't, shouldn't we think of it that way? I mean, it's very hard to, to reverse. Yes. And unfortunately, once, once someone's in one, the odds are stacked against you. Yes. The individuals often do not even appear at the no, court hearings. They don't have to. It's it's really they're rife almost, with with problems. They're almost considered a non a non voice at that point. Yeah. They they have no voice. Thank you for sharing your experience and thoughts on that. I think it's important just for people to understand. Make your own decisions, of course, yeah. but know what you're doing. Yeah. Understand the ramifications of of what it is that you're choosing to do. Uh, before we wrap up. Jake, did you want to have any last any last thoughts, any last words on being autistic? What's it feel like to be autistic? Well, it still feels empowering to some mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Great. I understand you're the CEO of a business. Yes, uh, it's a cookie break with Jake. I, I go to some places to deliver cookies and tell everyone about autism and how to handle it. That is amazing. Thank you. What kind of cookies do you make? Well, we made like a peanut butter blast. It's kind of like, like it has Reese's in it. Is that your favorite candy? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Yeah, and we usually make a base of chocolate chip just in case if anyone has a nut allergy. Very thoughtful. And how long have you been doing this? Well, a very long time. I just can't think very far back though. Okay. Well, it sounds like fun. Thank you. It sounds like you get to go to a lot of interesting places. Yeah, I went to a lavender farm in AP area. I even went to a friend's farm and take a look at some goats. Oh, my gosh. A goat farm, a lavender farm, an AP area. That sounds like wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing, Jake. Thank you. Janine, any last thoughts before we... Before we wrap up, no, I don't. I don't think so. I just think, I think for so many years, um, you associated autism with, you know, you would hear the words tragic, or you know, it would be the plight of autism. I think the this the shift needs to be that it is empowering. It needs to be the focus on the strength, um, the the dynamic for lack of a better words, of, you know, autistic individuals and the fact that it's not broken. You know, we've we've always told him it's the focus on the positive and that's where it needs to be. Yes, there's a list of things maybe that he can't do, but I have a really long list of things that I can't do too. So the focus really needs to be on the list of amazing things that he 
can do and that he's spectacular at. And I think that's the the neurodiverse brain is unbelievable. And I think that's where the shift needs to be. It needs to be, you know, this appreciation, this positive spin. It's it's not broken, you know, just there are lots of different kinds of bears and there's lots of different kinds of brains and, you know, I might have a MacBook and he might have a Windows and it's not bad. It's just different. And on that note, I think we're going to wrap up. Thank you both for joining us on Disability Talks. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Disability Talks. Want to be a part of the ongoing conversation? Visit our website at abilitiesinmotion.org or connect with us on social media.